Welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast, a place where we talk about the power of love and its creative expression in our lives. We talk about all things related to growth, positivity, and kindness. And I am your host, Karen Kamara. Episode 83, Falling in Love with Your Heart. Having several near-death experiences forced Barbara to develop her self-love with three open-heart surgeries, dying three times, and spending 50 days in intensive care. At the brink of death, she realized she wanted to live and to learn how to heal her physical and emotional heart. As a coach, speaker, and author, Barbara transforms the lives of others as she shares the power of self-love and healing. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast. Today, I have a beautiful guest, Barbara. Do you go by another name? I see your names in parentheses, so. Yeah, I have also, I mean, I I go by both names. Um, Ohuninifa is my uh, Ifa name. I, I, I practice African spiritual um, I can't say religion because it's not, it's so much more than a religion, but anyway, that is my spiritual name, but my mama named me Barbara. So that has honor as well. So either way. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I always start at the podcast talking about love and your journey to self love and the steps you took to become the woman you are today. Thank you. Thank you for even for doing this and for having this as a topic. It's such an important topic. So thank you. And thank you for having me. You're welcome. So my journey to self-love, man, I took lots and lots of detours up, down, sideways, and it's a journey. And even now I say, you know, it's, um, I've made it further along that journey, but who's to know what the full blossom of really being in love with myself will be. So I'm not saying I'm there because I just know there's just so much more, but you know um, everything that I do and the, and the work that I do and the experiences that I've had, I realize have all been leading me back to myself to know how to love myself. Um, and the, probably the biggest pivotal moment for me and by moment is really a, a block of time is um in 2017 when I had an aortic dissection and um you know had to go into the hospital found out that and it was a pretty dramatic because they were just about to to discharge me but found that I had an aortic dissection which is a disorder where the and talk about we're talking about love right the pipe that connects your heart to everything else in your body so that oxygen blood can flow to every organ every cell every other aspect of your body you could say you know that pipe that connects you to yourself to love yourself internally in your physical body tore um and it's 99 fatal um people usually don't even make it to the hospital um and when they do it's either misdiagnosed or uh because it's such a specialized medical um medical area oftentimes, depending on where you are, there may not be a specialist that is able to um, to even do the surgery. So a lot of people get life flighted. But I got to the hospital, they were able to diagnose me before they actually discharged me. And I had to have an immediate open heart surgery, 
where that part of my aorta was replaced. And um, it was a 10 hour surgery and I have to fit, I had a 50, 50 prognosis and, and I was kind of in and out of consciousness. And again, and I've written a book and I talk about this experience as well as my journey to love um, as a black woman in this world that is told and given all of the reasons why we're not worthy of love, but kind of my journey through that. And, um, you know, the, I was in intensive care for 50 days. I died three times, heart stopped three times. Um, so you could say the flow of love within me stopped three times. And um, they went back in for a total of three open heart surgeries. So literally wow. just having that opened that many times. And the third time that I actually was dying, I felt it coming. Cause each of the other times while I was in intensive care, I didn't know anything that had happened until, you know, a week or so later after I woke up again, after they were able to bring me back into my body um, or I chose to come back or was sent back. However, we look at that. But um, that third time I knew it was happening and I did not want to die. And I literally started saying it's happening again. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And, you know, the doctors, they called the code blue, um, and my then husband was there with me, just trying to help me to stay in my body. Cause I could actually feel myself slipping away. And, you know, when I think about it, it was probably at that moment that I understood what loving myself meant. Cause I didn't want to go. I, uh, you know, I had two children. I, I have two children and, you know, my youngest was 13, but still I wanted to be here, but in that moment, all of the, all of those other people and that are so close to me that I love my children were kind of on the peripheral. It was just me and my body and I wanted to stay. And I think it was that moment that I really understood what loving myself meant. And, you know, even ever since then, it's been understanding why wasn't I at that point of loving myself that deeply before that and understanding why all of that trauma had to happen to bring me to that point of understanding how important it is to love myself. Um, and then kind of going back into, you know, cause my mother passed away um, back in 2006 from heart related um, issues. And when I got out the hospital and doing the research and understanding, you know, once I was actually able to think clearly after all of that morphine and anesthesia, um, that 50,000 black women die every year from heart related disease or heart conditions. And I was almost one of them. And I, it really had me to dive into what is this that Black women experience and have been experiencing that has us at such great risk. It can't just only be the health and the nutrition and exercise and, all the, the, and stress and all of those things that we live in right now. But for me, it kind of took me back to what did my mother experience? What did my grandmother experience? What have Black women been experiencing for centuries that is held in our bodies? Because we know energy and trauma is held in our bodies through epigenetics, scientifically proven. So what is my body trying to tell me about what all my ancestral mothers need from me and need for them? What do I need to heal? And it all come, comes back to love. Right and knowing how to love ourselves because we're real good at loving everybody else. <laughs> but how do we shore up that love internally? And so that's why I say my journey has been zigzag, even back in time and forward again mm -hmm. to understand what does that actually mean? And I'm still learning every day, mm -hmm. you know, 
what does it mean to love myself today? What do I need today? Asking myself, what do I need today? Yeah. And, you know, so it's a daily journey. <laughs> it's um, when you were, did you actually cross over? And when you, when you died, did you actually go like have a near death experience or were you still conscious enough that you were still in your body? I, I struggle with that because I have more feelings and impressions. Mm-hmm. Some people, and I, you know, I've talked to doctors and, and done some research around it. Some people actually remember what they saw, what they experienced when they cross over and when they come back. Mm-hmm. In my case, and I was, you know, doing, again, doing it research, the medical interventions have taken away so much of my memory. So I have impressions of things, even like things literally that were happening when I was conscious and talking to people. It's like, it seems like a distant dream or either I don't remember it at all. And people just tell me it happened. So a lot of that, again, anesthesia and morphine and all of the other medications and things that were having to, um, that they were having to do to save me kind of took away that memory. Uh, But I was, each of the three times that I went, 23 minutes, 27 minutes, 30 minutes that I was, my heart was stopped. And whether that's enough time, I don't feel like I like crossed over, over. I kind of feel like, and this is where the feelings and impressions. And I tell people this, if it's that feeling when, you know, when you were a little kid and you were outside playing and you might've been outside with the neighborhood friends or your cousins or something, and your mother hears you and you may be like <laughs> saying some words you shouldn't say or doing some things you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And you get called in the house and told to act like you got some sense and represent <laughs> yourself correctly. And yeah. then sit back outside to play. That's what I felt like. Like, mm-hmm. and it, it was almost like me for me. And, and, you know, I'm especially after this very esoteric. So it was like my ancestral mother said, you're going down a path that is the path we went down and we say, no, I'm gonna need you to do some things different. And the thing is, I would die and come back. I didn't know I was I had died or what do they call it? A pulseless electronic activity is what they, the medical term for it because they hadn't pronounced me dead yet. So they can't say that, but there was no pulse. There was no, there was no uh, heartbeat. Um, and each time I came back, I would just go back into this. Let me go take care of everybody. I just, I do remember this being on my iPad, trying to order dinner on Uber Eats for my son, even though I had a husband at a time, my son was 13. We had people supporting, but for some reason I had to do it. And I couldn't even think straight. It took me almost an hour to just order on Uber Eats. Mm -hmm. And when I think about that and the fact that it kept happening, I, I wouldn't let go. I wouldn't let go and surrender to what I was experiencing and accept it until that last time when I was like, oh, sh- I, I don't want to die and knew what was happening. Um, and so it was kind of that, let me snatch you up. Ancestral mothers, no, you're doing the same thing we did. You're not doing this anymore. Go back, try again. Because it's not your time to be over here with us yet. <laughs> you have work to do. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, so I, how far I crossed, I don't know, but I went somewhere. I have a lot of dreams. Um, I call them dreams. I used to think they were hallucinations. I'm not quite sure now. And I'm actually almost almost five years later still unpacking some of the, the thoughts and images that I see. I'm like, was I hallucinating? I don't know. So it's very, <laughs> it's very interesting experience to kind of unpack. Yeah, I'd imagine it would be. And now that you're back in the world five years 
it's been five years, you said, mm-hmm. um, and you've been focused on self-love, but also particularly you mentioned working with black women and helping yes. us with our worthiness and healing our programming that we've had since I don't even know how long mm-hmm. about who we are. And it, and I have to say this because I think my parents are African, so I'm first generation American. And mm-hmm. this story isn't just black Americans. It's like right. black people around the world. And I think... You know, I didn't identify when I was younger with the Black American experience. I'm like, oh, because my parents weren't slaves. You know, that's like not that, you know, that's not it. But it is Mm -hmm. because it's a story of oppression. And oppression happens around the world, no matter what race you are. And, and, you know, it's happening right now in Africa in so many ways. So it's just interesting because I feel like, wow, this is a brainwashing that's happening to all races, not just Black women, but, you know, Mm -hmm. Asians, Latinos, we all have been... um, brainwashed to think of ourselves as less than Mm -hmm. and it's and to your point it is it's a universal story right it's it's Mm -hmm. it's a story about and it's the journey of humanity and you know if we take I mean and we kind of have two things converging here it's the race and the gender right that intersectionality Mm -hmm. and black women no matter what continent we are on now (laughs) We all originated in in Africa, and whether it's enslavement or colonization, we've all been oppressed and affected. But Black women were the birthers of humanity. But at the same time, and I say, and I say specifically Black women because all of if we had to like put a um, a hierarchy just in terms of how we're treated and how we're viewed in the world it's black women and then other ethnicities may be slightly above that depending on you know what country you're in and what kind of preferences there are but when you look at that the fact that the black woman is kind of at the bottom of that or perceived or um, made to believe that we are but at the same time we were the first women on the planet giving birth to like humanity so just when you think about that and then the fact that that um and on all women and the need to have this balance on the planet and this balance between how we approach things with, you know, whether it's our government structures, our business structures, corporate America, all very done with a certain way of thinking that doesn't involve the family, doesn't involve community, doesn't involve nurturing, doesn't involve any of those feminine aspects that we associate with women. Cause we're talking about energy now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when you think about like, that is one of the, core wounds of humanity that has to get healed in order for us to move forward collectively all races all people the planet (laughs) and and so it it, for me it starts with okay women need to be honored okay black women need to be honored oh okay black woman i need to honor myself because i can't demand it from you you and you unless i know how to do that for myself and my sister right and so that's where i've brought my work back to like okay how can i heal this within me and my ancestral lineages and how can I share what I've learned and what I'm learning and experiencing with other black women, other oppressed women, other women, mm-hmm. and kind of in that succession, cause it's not like it's not for other people, but I'm a black woman in this life. So that's where I focus my lived experience is that. So that's where I focus on, um, on creating these healing pathways. And so, yeah, we, it, it is a, it's, it's a story of humanity and how can we move forward? And I think the last two years 
very clear, at least for me, that everything in the cosmos, everything in our bodies, everything on the planet, everything wants us to move forward and kind of have no choice now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have choice, but, you know, I don't want what the alternative is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's crystal clear. You either change or, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's the perfect. Oh no, I don't want to be in that boat. So um, <laughs> I'd rather be part of the transformational um, up leveling energy. Yes. And it's interesting because I feel like the story of the world of oppression is a story of superheroes, right? There's always an underdog hero that's been it's oppressed, the right? What? Yeah, and they were oppressed and they overcome it, and all of a sudden they become the hero and win the day. Mm-hmm. And that's but it has much. to be because the thing is that that dissension i mean and you can people on an individual life basis can go through that cycle and not get the lesson right but on a broader humanity basis we just hope the trajectory is that at some point more and more people get it but that that descent into trauma drama suffering is where the potential to build character and to expand is or the potential to shrink and lessen your good character, lessen your ability to love um, because you just get um, kind of pulled, you know, kind of like Darth Vader, you get pulled to the dark side <laughs> because of what you've experienced. And that was, you know, the, the story of Darth Vader, right? He was kind of right there on the edge, but experienced, you trauma, know, his version trauma. of oppression and trauma mm-hmm. and the anger and the fear. He went dark. He went dark, mm-hmm. but he's always had the potential and eventually always. came back. At the end. You know. <laughs> and on his deathbed, like he was dying and falling back and then became good. It was like momentarily shifted. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you're right. I mean, that's kind of what it is. It's like, I think, th- I mean, I feel like we all have that. I mean, I went through that. You know, it's like you, and I think for me, that my darkness manifested in total victimhood, right? And it's like, mm being the victim of my circumstance, like, oh, I'm black, I'm a woman, immigrant parents, you know, grow up a certain way and go falling into that trap of not loving yourself. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. They have, mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, it's intense. It's a lot of um, rewiring. Yes. Yeah. One of the things I talk about um, in one of the chapters, I talk about um, all these stereotypes, um, you know, from all the way from, I call it, um, if you, you better look like Bunny DeBarge, meaning like as Eurocentric as possible to Mammy, to Jezebel, to um, the angry black woman, right. all of these stereotypes and how they were represented in media when I was growing up in the eighties mm-hmm. and how that just went right in, just impacted mm-hmm. everything. Every and day. then how I responded to it. And so it's like taking these um, these concepts that were put into media and come on, it has in- intentionally because there's also right along the side, on the side of these, um, television shows, there was also all types of communication research that showed the impact of it, mm-hmm. that showed that black teenagers watched more television and believed it to be representative of truth more than any other group. I but then when I see myself, I see a prostitute, a criminal, or someone completely uneducated or a struggling single mother on well, like all of these still, this is still happening. Yeah. 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 And so that's all I see for myself. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, that's, that's all I 
that's all that's I got. We, that's all we got. And just so I, I was giggling when you said Bunny DeBarge because I feel like that's a generational thing. Like it that is. we won't like most people that are under thirty five are not gonna know who she is. She's yeah. part of El DeBarge. <laughs> Rhythm of the Night was their biggest hit. They're a family, <laughs> and I would say the comparison of that would be maybe like a Halle Berry. <laughs> yeah. Just so people can get the context. <laughs> I love El DeBarge When I mentioned that in the book, because like I said, that's one of the stereotypes. Yeah. I actually like anybody that grew up in the 80s know who I'm talking about. If you don't, just Google it right quick. Really? <laughs> and I listed some of their songs because it is very generational. And and you know what's crazy? Because it's so, so off topic, but there's so many hip hop songs that sample the DeBarge um, family. That right? is so intense. Like, I'm glad they made their money somehow because you know, they had all that original music, but they're amazing. So if y'all don't yes. know about them go listen <laughs> exactly <laughs> they influence the whole generation of people <laughs> yes they're so amazing um but you know i still have this problem i mean even talking about this makes me emotional about the colorism and how deep ingrained um colonialism and white supremacy has been ingrained even in my own mind mm -hmm. and in other women's mind and now when i watch tv shows like i don't know if you watched that harlem series that just came out on amazon prime with Megan Good and three other women. And the dark-skinned one is the girl that's a little bigger. She's like mm -hmm. a size 12 or 14. And she's a loud, mm -hmm. promiscuous one. And I'm just like, I don't understand why we're still doing this. And then the light-skinned one was rich and posh and from the Caribbean and had a very rich upbringing. And I'm just like, when are they going to stop this? When are they going to stop it? Because we're, at this point, so many Black people are behind the scenes creating it. And I'm like, why is, and why aren't they saying anything? Like, why Realize aren't the, the issue? If you don't love yourself on a deep basis, most people not walking around thinking about or talking about that they don't love themselves, especially us. We put on the bling, we look good, present that air. But so many of us are walking around with this deep feeling of unworthiness. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, depending on what degree, it may, uh, it may manifest in a real pursuit to get some proximity to whiteness or just not seeing anything in certain situations right. or just believing the stereotypes on a subliminal basis to where you help perpetuate it and you know and it takes a lot of first of all being able to kind of heal that part of, within yourself a being able to admit is there because that's first step. Most people, you know, won't even do that. A lot of people won't even do that. Yeah. I won't say most. Um, but then once you, you know, face that and heal that within yourself, then you got to have the courage to take it outside of yourself and actually advocate. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different thing. And you might be the only one because out of 10, if, the, if there are 10 Black people working in that environment, on that set, on that production company, you might be the only one that's even thinking in that way. Everybody else be, may be thinking in a more uh, assimilation type of way. And well, yeah, I mean, I get it. I mean, I'm not in entertainment, but I could imagine that if you want your work to be put out there, you have to kind of... Unless you're Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, but I love Shonda Rhimes. When is she... I mean, besides Viola Davis, which I really appreciate, mm -hmm. she put a dark-skinned woman that was older in the front line. But where else has she done that? Like in Bridgerton, I was really upset because I was like, there are no black women in this that are that are not mixed. And mm -hmm. then the one mixed girl is the one that got pregnant outside of the society. And she had this whole pregnancy scare. I was like, really? Why is the black girl always got to be the hoey one? Like, I'm just <laughs> like, 
can't we create a different narrative? And I'm just like, you know, and I, I know she was just the, she wasn't the showrunner, so she didn't really make a lot of the decisions on mm-hmm. that. But I kind of was like, mm. we still need more, y'all. Yeah. And it I ain't just, you, Tyler Perry. Stop dressing up. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like the colorism is just so intense. And I think maybe because I'm dark skin and I notice we it felt more. It, we've felt it more. I just, I just see it more. I'm just like, really? This. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I remember when I was little, I wanted to be on television. I wanted to be uh, a broadcast journalist. Mm-hmm. And like I saw Oprah, I was like, I want to be like Oprah. I want to talk to people on TV and stuff. But I was like, uh, there's nobody dark on TV. Nobody. I mean, there was just Oprah. And mm-hmm. e- and I was like, well, I'd have to like straighten my hair. Like I, I just saw all the things I would need to do. And I was just like, I don't know. I don't probably, it probably won't work. I didn't even try. I was like, mm-hmm. And, Man, yeah. when I was in grad school, I remember, um, you know, in the MBA program, so you go in for the internships and during the summer and then kind of the final big job at the end. And um, I went to a historically Black college. And so we always would have like either alumni or, you know, if there was any company that would come to recruit, of course, they sent their Black people because it was an HBCU. Mm-hmm. And I just remember talking to some Black women who were in corporate America already, and they talked about how you, (laughs) they didn't use the words, but basically the advice they gave us was to play into the stereotype Hmm. and to, you know, you can't go to the interview with braids. And, you know, they were like advising. I mean, and we know it's still an issue now. Right. And, um, and how, when you get the job, you really have to make that job like, man, I'm a, she said like your daddy like like that's your man like your job is your your romantic partner why it's like what does that mean prioritize it above all else oh wow I was like I I'm so sorry if that is what you had to do mm-hmm. and I appreciate you opening the door but I'm going to this interview with my braids because if they don't hire me because I have braids that's not a place I needed to be mm-hmm. and I'm not going to ever prioritize somebody else's wealth and riches over my own well-being. Mm-hmm. Now, it still that. took several years for me to work through that too, but I was like, wow, that was advice given from another black woman. I mean, oh. yeah. I mean, I don't, I feel like that's normal within black people. Cause I mean, it's like, how else are you going to get ahead in the corporate world? You kind of have to assimilate if you or can be really good at what the frick you do. And and it also depends on what your because and I say this because I kind of I went the corporate route and then I'm out now. Mm-hmm. I I got us free. I got me free. But um, I never even tried. <laughs> it's it's a whole different mind state. And but I always try to be as much of me as I could. But even then, I still had to contain it in a way. But things like my hair, like you know, I when I fully went in I either had braids or I had dreadlocks you know eventually I had dreadlocks and then you know now I I shaved it all off but um but the more I came into who I am and this love of myself and love of my people it became harder and harder not to speak up it became harder and harder to just let you know things slide because I never tried to assimilate in terms of appearance but I think in terms of thought process I did yeah Or in terms of like being vocal, I did. And also being in an environment where I didn't feel worthy. Like, man, am I even supposed to be here? Like, 
especially when it's me looking like a speck in a big bowl of milk. And so it's just so much to kind of to get through with that. But that's where it goes back to. If I love myself, I'm willing to not make what that corporate job can pay me if they want me to look and be a certain way that's not who I am and doesn't honor who all the things that my ancestors have done to be here, both the ones on this continent and in Africa right. and all the places along the way. You know, it so boggles my mind that us as Black women have to deal with things that just seem so like, why are we even talking about this? Like our hair, like the fact that we spend trillions of dollars on our hair and it grows out of our head the way it grows out of our head, where I feel like every other race, no one has to think about, oh, I'm going to this job interview. I have to wear my hair a certain way. I'm always like, why is this? It shouldn't even be a thing. Like, I've never heard a white girl tell me that. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to this interview. Like, I, I don't know how I should do my hair. Or, like, is it going to be professional? Like, they and just they wash their one, hair and they go. That is one example of many of the things that fall under the umbrella of white privilege. True. The it's fact absolute. that you don't have to think about that. The fact that you can drive down the street and not look in your rearview mirror when you pass a police officer. By right. habit, by instinct. Mm -hmm. The hair thing is just so intense because I shaved off my hair at 20 and I I was just like corporate, corporate didn't even cross my mind because I, I remember I got this one job as a waiter, as a waitress, and they were like, you're going to have to take off your nose ring. I was like, no, no. And I actually lied and said it was a religious thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was like, no, you know, my family is African and Muslim, and this is part of our Fulani tradition. Because Fulanis do have nose rings, so I wasn't entirely lying, but <laughs> it was not really true. I didn't need a nose ring to be part of my cultural whatever. Right. But that's what I said, and he let me keep my nose ring. <laughs> now your ancestors was like, okay, now we about to bless that nose ring. Mm -hmm. Don't play with us. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking, like, I don't feel like I should change my appearance to do anything mm -mm. that I don't want to. So, I mean, that's why I kind of partly why I became an entrepreneur, because I can do what I want when I want it, how I want it. Like, this is not I'm not I don't want to conform to anything. I just want to be myself. Mm -hmm. And some people just don't have the luxury of that. Right. They have to, like, go to work and look a certain way and mm -hmm. do X, Y and Z. Um, but it's intense. And, you know, even that it's. um it's still a choice. Yeah. It's all how you carry yourself too. Cause if I feel like you're right, like if you, if you love yourself and you're coming from a place of love and you're kind and compassionate, you know, things could be different. Yeah. And even, and you know, even beyond that, you can get to, a, like, I've been around other, you know, obviously other black people in corporate America and the degree of brilliance that we have, the problem solving that we bring to issues it's, it's, it's mind boggling. And so, and we do this for corporations who tell us how much they're going to pay us, which usually, especially if you're a black woman, you got to fight to even be on level with someone who's doing the same job and not as well as you. And, and at a point when I looked at all of that, I'm like, okay, so you're deciding how much to pay me. I'm giving you brilliance. And when you look at black people globally, we have always been the foundation of brilliance that built up civilizations that actually have created all of these, um, the foundations that they built the structures on top of, you know, that now oppress us. But we have all of this brilliance. What if we took that into something else and stopped giving it to corporate America, which only facilitates the oppression of us anyway? And I know it's a really, um, it's a really broad thought to even have, but I mean, bit by bit, I see people 
who don't spend any time with their family, who are stressed out all the time, who have dire health issues. A lot of my health issues came from the stress of, of work and stuff too. And, and, and at what point, how much is it worth to have the house that you are working to pay for, the car you are working to pay for, to have this image as if you have made this American, achieved this American dream, but internally there's no happiness, no, no joy, no love. And, but you can make a different choice, make less money, live more within means, do more with community and have a richer life. That's a hard decision for many, especially when you come from nothing, you know, if you're coming from, I think it's even, I think it's both. Like if you come from money, you want to stay from in money, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard period. We live in a world where money is like. (laughs) God, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's intense. You know, it's really, it's really intense. And I don't, I don't really know what the solution is other than to love and heal yourself. That part, period. That's all you can do because it can be so overwhelming to think about the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. I just realized when I slung one of my earrings out. (laughs) Um, uh, But to think about the bigger picture can be so overwhelming. But if I can focus on day to day, year to year, loving myself and understanding what that means, not in some superficial, oh, I just took a bubble bath today, but not that there's anything wrong with that, but like on the deepest level, what does that mean to love and prioritize myself? And then how does that expand out to my children and my family, my community, the people I come in contact with? That's how change happens. It's a ripple effect, but it starts here. Yes, it starts from you. Yeah. And I think that's the only way that we can truly heal the pain that in our community, the Black community, but also in the whole world, because mm-hmm. Black women do go through a lot. And I, I feel like, so many of us have so many health issues um, more than other races, especially women like fibroids. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of the illnesses to me energetically are just insular. They're things that just you hold in and they just generate, they get bigger and bigger and bigger within us. And then all yeah. of a sudden at some point it bursts like, um, yeah. And I think it's a lot of, it's just like, there's not, it's, it's just being hypervigilant all the time. Yeah. Takes a toll. All the time. What is it? The adrenal glands that just mm-hmm. never get a break. The cortisol never goes mm-hmm. down. That's why I think a lot of us gain weight as we get older. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. how do we calm down? Like our cortisol levels cause inflammation. So it's like. Which is a whole yeah. other thing um, of, I mean, and this is again, human beings, period. Mm-hmm. We have no idea how our bodies work. No. I so. mean, we, the medical industry knows like 1% or maybe two. But <laughs> there's just so much. I mean, God created these beautiful creatures. I mean, even in the miracle of life, when you understand like what happens and how cells like multiply and create the skin and the hair, like how does this one tiny cell know that this is the heart cell? This cell right. knows to create the heart. I mean, there's so much in our body that is just like mind blowing. And then you learn a little bit. We learn, we've learned the tip of the iceberg of what this human body is capable of. And you hear these stories like yours where like people die and they come back or they doctors say, Oh, you're never going to be able to walk again. And they walk, you Mm -hmm. know, things like that. And you're like, really? It's like, I really believe that having self-limiting thoughts around your health definitely keep you crippled. You know, when they tell people, Oh, you're going to die within three months, people die within three months. But Mm -hmm. if you never tell them they're going to die within a certain time frame, they may live longer. Or they may mm-hmm. not, but just giving people those limitations, 
people hold on to that. That's why as an acupuncturist, I avoid giving people diagnoses because I'm just like, if I tell you this is happening, you're going to hold on to that and manifest it, you know, as the, mm-hmm. as your truth. And that's only my opinion as other acupuncturists might tell you something different. Right. Like I've had clients tell me, yeah, an acupuncturist told me my kidneys are weak. I'm like, don't hold on to that. Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Freedom and and it's mind. all about how you frame it, right? It, it doesn't necessarily have to be your kidneys are weak or it can be here's some things that you can do to really help strengthen your body, including your kidneys or help mm-hmm. to support your kidneys to, to help them to do X, Y, and Z, like to talk about the outcome and right, how to right. get to the outcome rather than the deficit. Mm-hmm. And, and that definitely is impactful. Like I remember when I was in the hospital for the in intensive care for those two months and you know whether it was doctors that would come by or the nurses because I knew the entire nursing staff because I was there for so long or even the woman that came to clean my room they came in and they would say oh my god I'm so glad you're still with us because you know maybe the last time they saw me I was like you know coding and um and they would say you're a miracle child we don't understand how how you keep coming back but you're here for a reason And they kept saying that so much. And it really went in like, okay, wait a minute. These are very scientific people Mm -hmm. that are using the word miracle. And I must be here for a reason or I'm here for a reason. So man, am I here for a reason? And I have no doubt that that contributed to me staying here because like I said, I didn't even know I died until towards the end when I was, you know, right before the third time that it happened. Had I known or had I seen what later I saw after I got out the hospital, I saw my medical chart. Um, one of the doctors had written death is imminent for this patient. If I had actually heard that when I was going through it, you're right. I may not have come back because I may not have had the strength and the will to do so yeah, and just have given up. That's why words are so powerful and representation mm-hmm. is so powerful and inclusion is so powerful because we are all one. Like we're all this one human race and we all get impressions by each other, which is why I think it's important that in media and pictures and we could, we see each other because when we don't, we think that we're alone in this world suffering when there's other people that are experiencing something similar. Right. And if we don't share our stories and be like, Hey, you know, this happened to me, people are going to be like, Oh my God, that happened to me too. Mm -hmm. And you know, like I remember I watched the movie, the documentary, Dark Girls, and one of the girls is like me, first generation African, and they used to call her um, African booty shake, um, booty scratcher. I forget what that is, but I forget mm-hmm. that. But I used to be called that too, and I thought I was. I thought these kids just made that up, and they were just talking to me. <laughs> then when I saw that, I mean, yeah, I was, that was my, across the country. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no For decades. Idea. For, but I didn't know. So I was like right. in my 30s, like, oh, my God, other people got called booty scratchers. I, just, <laughs> I thought it was just me. So but here's the thing. I'm not first generation African and I got called it. Really? It has, it's not about actually and saying that's why that's crazy, because it felt very personal for you. Right. But, uh, you know, even when I was called, it felt personal for me because it was about the fact that I had a big butt. Oh. And it was just like black people called, they called everybody each other that it didn't it was, matter. I I was so mortified when I was little. Um, and it was one of those things where I watched that movie. I was like, oh man, we all had this shared experience, which made me feel so 
seen and validated and in a lot yeah. of ways healed. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I'm not the only one going through that. I love that documentary because I felt like, oh, my God. Like, mm -hmm. it was like one of these moments where I was just like, okay, I'm not the only one. And I know subconsciously I'm intelligent to know that that's not my only ex I'm not the only one going through right, that. Right, right. But to hear it's something different when you hear somebody say that. Yes. You know, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the reality is when you were a little girl and it happened, you didn't know, you didn't have that right. cognitive ability to know. And that, that little girl is still within you. So now you can let her know mm -hmm. like, <laughs> that's, that transit, that's that self-love process. Cause yeah. man, that experience of going back to your younger self that was so vulnerable, that got hurt so much and that did whatever was necessary to protect you. I thank you. I don't need that kind of protection anymore. Let me tell you how things have turned out. Yeah. That's an internal conversation that can really be healing for us. Right. And now it's like, I'm, I love like, my skin. I'm like, oh my God, thank God I'm so dark. But, you know, <laughs> and I'm actually kind of like, I got lighter <laughs> because I live in California and I don't go in the sun anymore. Because uh, in New York, I grew up in New York City. I'm always outside because you're right, walking right. everywhere. And now I've realized living here for 15 years that I don't really go outside. <laughs> and I like got two shades lighter. I was looking at my pictures. I was like, oh my God, I got lighter. What the heck? I know. I was like, I want my color back. And um it's just interesting how you fall in love with yourself in different ways yep. as you start to appreciate it for what it is. <laughs> when you say I just thought about um so the name of my book is From Fat, Black, and Unlovable to Beautiful, Powerful Love. Mm -hmm. And that um and I talk about how that it's really the, about a toxic belief that I held about myself and how that was those fat, black and unlovable was formed and then transitioning to an empowered belief that I'm beautiful. We all are beautiful, powerful, and we're not only lovable and loving, but we are love. Mm -hmm. And I also, I talk about this when I got out the hospital, you know, I had lost so much weight and that was like, you know, I'd always wanted to lose weight. And I was, I was a beautiful weight on the scale, but I looked like crap, muscle wasting, everything just sad. I looked in the mirror. I had no ass. It was gone. It looked like, <laughs> and I'm laughing. It looked like two deflated balloons. <laughs> oh no. I was like, I was mortified. I was just like, who am I? What the? I was so upset. I'm like, I'm recovering from dying and all this stuff. And I'm upset about my butt. <laughs> and my daughter was like, um, maybe it's time that you define yourself by something else. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I don't need you like trying to like parent me right now. <laughs> You're like, let me be sad about my butt. <laughs> yes, yes. But I will say, you know, my genetics are what they are and they came back. So <laughs> we're good. But this idea of, I got to a point where, especially after my daughter said that I was so sad about my butt. And then I thought about and understood <laughs> it was like my heart ate my ass in order to save my life. <laughs> it's called a fat, you know, it took muscle. everything it needed. Yeah. So my body could survive so I could be here. And then all of a sudden, whatever fat stores I have, whether it's the big hips or the big butt that always got on my nerves or annoyed me so much when I was growing up, I'm like, I'm thankful I had all of that because all of it was used to save my life. 
Yeah. I got out the hospital. I was a stick. Well, if I was a stick when I went in the hospital, it wouldn't have been nothing to draw. You would have been done. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, I love all of this. I love, I wanted to be healthy and toned and I'm Mm -hmm. doing all the things, Mm -hmm. but sis, you are never going to be a thin reed. It is not in your genetics. Appreciate this because it's there for a reason. And I understand that now. You know, it's, it's interesting because, um, I think women forget that you know, that being big is, is a, actually a, if we were in an island and there was no food, the bigger girls would survive. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and what do they say when that comes on November, everybody looking for a big girl? Cause like, what you want to be warm. <laughs> I'm saying. I'm saying. <laughs> and um, listen, by the way, if we on an island, depending on which island, it don't even have to be like, um, there's no food. It's just culturally on some islands I've just found that they just gravitate towards a larger woman. You know, it's interesting (laughs) because I remember I was insecure about um, my weight when I was younger and I was at this reggae concert and, you know, and I I was like standing next to these Jamaican performers and he looks at me and he's like, you fat. I was like, excuse me? (laughs) I was like like, ready to just like give this guy the, the verbal beating of his life. And I was so like offended and i looked at him i was just like what does that mean and i was real like let me not get mad just like Like, let me maybe i don't understand cultural differences okay so then he proceeds to turn around and tell me he's like oh it's a compliment it means you 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 got meat it's it's a it's a it's good i was like oh so you got so it's interesting that they really love bigger women and i was like that's so fascinating because an american man would never that would never be a thing. He might say you mm-hmm. thick, but he would never just flat out say you fat. Yeah. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> it's like, are you saying F-A-T or P-H-A-T? What are you saying? What are like, you saying? Yeah, like what is what is the conversation? But you know, it's interesting because I think for me, part of when I hated, like had that self-loathing was partly of my size. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm black, I'm dark, and I'm bigger than everyone else. I mean, I'm not the biggest, but I'm big. Yeah. And it's just like, and that's not what you see. You see all these, even white, even black women on television are skinny, yeah. <laughs> except for Oprah. Oprah has everything that's not right. traditional, but, um, and now <laughs> that's why she blew it. Cause it's like, she was, the, she was the only one, but we need, we need more Oprah. You know, but I, you know, my theory is that if she, if she wasn't that way, I don't know if she would have been so popular. I think Oprah felt safe. She didn't feel threatening. You know, she mm-hmm. was like a normal human. But if she looked like Tyra Banks or Naomi, I don't know. It goes back to those stereotypes, right? Because she's like, like Mammy. Whole, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Mammy stereotype. That was the comforter that took care of everybody. Yeah. Jezebel, you just wanted her. You wanted she, her, but you didn't want to see her. She was a hot, sexy bitch. You just wanted her. Yeah. Um, but Mammy made everything okay and took right. care of everything. Right. Which... I'm so tired of that one too. Yeah, I'm all, the, all the stereotypes are are obnoxious. Yeah. You know, like oh, you you have to be strong. Okay, what does that mean? I can't be vulnerable. I can't cry. Like you I'm know. strong enough to say I can't do this right now. Bye. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's also part of like for me my self love journey as a black woman was to let to let go of those stereotypes of what I need to be. Yes, or yes. how I should be. And even the act I was playing because I felt like this is how I am supposed to act in this given situation. Right. And understanding, no, I'm a soul that's in a body that's happens to be black, but I don't, I don't need to 
follow anything other than mm-hmm. my heart, which, you know, takes time. It definitely, um, that again, going back to the foundation, like if you can love yourself, you can be yourself in any moment. And the thing is, like you said, we're a soul and a body having an experience amongst a sea of other souls and bodies on a planet that has its own consciousness in a sea of energy, all of which is affecting us. Right. I can't say how I'm going to act an hour from now or tomorrow because the energy is different. The people I'm around may be different and I need to respond to what's there. If I have a preconceived notion of how I'm supposed to be in, in the world, I'm blocking myself to the experience that's right there in front of me. Right. That's inviting me to be more authentically me every moment. But that is hard. <laughs> it's practice every day. Every day. Every day. It's a choice to do that for sure. Yes. Well, let's get into the infinite love questions. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> the first one, we just like chat. We're just like chatting away here. <laughs> hey, boy, hey. <laughs> so the first one is how do you express love in your work? In my work, um, in the writing that I do, both my blog, um, my book, and I have a couple of the books coming up, everything is about how can Black women, and by default, all women learn how to love themselves. And so just by expressing either my experiences, the thoughts I have around, um, or the conversation, the thoughts I have around the healing process and the conversations I have, you know, esoterically with my ancestors, because I want to learn, I I do believe in ancestors and I do believe in that energy and that those spirits walking with me and they want to help, especially all of the women, all of them, men and women, but everyone that has experienced this pain and this trauma that they've all experienced, they want me to win. And so if I can learn from their experiences about what to do and what not to do and apply it, then I share that with others who maybe don't have that same reciprocity or that same relationship or communication relationship with their ancestors but you know at some point all of us have the same ancestors because if you go far enough back they're all the same same. and uh and they all want us to do well and so that's that's how I express that love is by sharing my journey to loving myself and trying to encourage other people to do the same thing Mm -hmm. I love it where has forgiveness brought more love into your life Ooh. 2020 just like took me and slammed me like this. (laughs) And I had to go, that was the whole thing I focused on for that entire year. It was, I actually um, separated from my husband in January of 2020. And then, you know, by was it February, March, we were in the pandemic. So I'm like, I didn't even get to like go out and like turn up because I was single now. It just had to go straight into the healing process. There was no distraction. Which is good. Exactly. I was like, I'm not, this is, is, is what it needs to be. And, um, and so it was forgiveness. At first I thought about, and I was trying to understand how to forgive him. But as I went in, into that and I realized I had to forgive myself for the choices that I've made, for staying, for doing, um, you know, just for the choices that I made that allowed things to be where they were um and just for anything that I've done and any decisions that I've made that may have adversely affect me or taken me off what I thought was my path and things like that like I really had to go deep into forgiving myself mm-hmm. and um and work through a lot of that with my kids too because they're so those those are some magnificent people 
those talking about some ancestors returning to help me. It's like I raised them and now they're like, all right, now we got to support you because we almost lost you. What's going on? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yes, forgiveness of self. And then I could actually forgive others that had hurt me in any way or some way and feel okay with that because now I know I'm okay and I'm not looking for other people to validate me or to shore me up or to give me parts of myself that I was missing because I forgave myself and gave myself those parts I was missing. Yeah. But it's an ongoing process too, because you always, you know, this healing thing is a spiral and then you bump up against something like, oh, I thought I dealt with this. Okay. There's more. Okay. Let's go in. (laughs) Never ending. Never ending. It's forgiveness is like, I feel like love and forgiveness are pretty much the same in the same energy. Like to oh, love, absolutely. forgive, you love and forgive for sure. Absolutely. What is the most compassionate act someone has done for you? Um, I'm not going to say that one. Well, I'm going to just say taking care of me in, in the ICU with biological functions that I couldn't do for myself. The, the nurses? No, my daughter or my oh, sister. And you yeah. know, like, mm-hmm. like, they took care of you for real yeah and it's just when your child turns around doing the same for you as you did for them when they were a baby but I'm not like elderly and unaware of what's going on it's like that's love and 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 compassionate because you could have been like um excuse me nurse can you come take care of my mama (laughs) but um and even my sister-in-law like we're not even blood related and she you know she helped me in there again without getting graphic, but it could have easily been you bought the way for the nurse. I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's love. That's love. Yes, yes. And what do you love most about your life? Freedom. That's the first word that came to mind because, like I said, I'm uh, I forgave myself and exited corporate America, mm-hmm. and. Um, and and with the pandemic and everything just kind of resetting and I'm, I've made the mission of rebuilding my life in a way that supports me because the reality is after all of the physical things that I went through the I'm not disabled but I am not who I was before it all happened I can't go 18 hours straight every day and be okay like my body can't even like I will be asleep for two days if I even tried that. And so um, just having the freedom to manage my life in a way that supports me, that supports my children, that um, that allows me to live and breathe and actually enjoy still being alive. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing, like before the incident is what I call it. Um, the chrysalis, because I you see know a butterfly. Saying, like, before I went in and came out a few, in and out a few times, yeah. I, you know, life was different, but now I'm like, I don't know how much time I have. And that's like a very real tangible thing for me now. Do I want to spend it doing things I don't want to do, being around people I don't want to be around? No. So I need to have the freedom to ebb and flow with some stability, but to ebb and flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my last question is, where has love created a miracle in your life? I mean, you're a walking miracle, but. (laughs) I mean, I think... I think that my, um, I've definitely felt the presence of, um, you know, and, and again, for me, it's like physical form or not, it's kind of, um, it's all the same. So even though my mother is an ancestor, I felt her there and all of my ancestors 
but especially my mother and some of her sisters, because she was one of 10 girls. Mm -hmm. Um, So just imagine you have all of these elder aunties standing around you like, no, this is, we, we not, you're going to live. I felt that love. I felt the love of my mother when I was going through that. I'm the youngest from her. Um, I'm the youngest kid. And so, you know, just always being at her, you know, at her apron string when I was growing up in that moment, when I was, you know, at the edge going back and forth between living and dying, I felt her love and the people around me, you know, my husband and I at the time where he's my ex-husband now, but even in that experience, when I was slipping out of my body and he was trying to help me to stay there, you know, breathing with me, looking into my eyes and helping me to stay grounded, that love helped me to stay there. My children's love helped me to stay here. And so, you know, they say I'm a miracle child, but it was that love that I was surrounded with both physically and spiritually that helped to ground me. And, and I think actually remembered, helped me to remember that I loved myself. So when it came to that third time, I did not want to go. And I felt that I actually, I love life. I want to be here. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think it was them that helped and all of that love that helped to elevate that. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the, on the show today. Absolutely. How can people connect with you and purchase your books and be part of your world? Absolutely. Um, my website, beautifulpowerfullove.com. That's all together as one word. I'm on uh, Facebook, Beautiful Powerful Love. I'm on Instagram, beautiful underscore powerful underscore love. Um, and on YouTube as well. I don't post as much there, but Instagram and Facebook, you can definitely get me there on my website. You can buy the book. I have a workbook that is doing pre-order now and it'll actually ship in April. I actually have an audio book. I just recorded it over the summer and that was a whole other level of a healing experience because it's so much um, more in depth to hear the story than to, to, to just read it. And so the audiobook you can get on my site as well as Amazon and, um, and Barnes and Noble and all the places. Um, and I also have like gear with, cause one of my hashtags is black women are dope AF, which I really believe that like <laughs> the things that we can do. And so there's like water bottles and stuff you can get there, but um, and sign up for my email to to see what else I have coming out because there's a couple other books coming out within this year. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so I, much for having me here. Yeah, and I'm sending you so much love. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and tune in on Tuesdays for new episodes. For more information about me, please follow me on Instagram at Corinne J. Camara and my website, CorinneCamara.com. Sending you lots of infinite love.